This week, my queer therapy is taking care of my sexual health. On Friday, I went to Planned Parenthood to get a full screening of STI tests. I'm not fully sure if that's how you would even phrase that, (laughs) but it's honestly been kind of overdue for me and something that I've wanted to just get done to get some worries off of my chest. Um, And so far, it's been good results, which is amazing. But the topic in general is pretty taboo for me and probably a lot of people. Um, Growing up, it was definitely not something that we talked about. I was expected to just marry a woman and not even probably date around before that. And so the idea of even going to get an STI test is pretty out out there for me, I would say. It's out there for my family, for the evangelical community in which I was raised. Um, And then also the additional layer of going to a Planned Parenthood is also completely, totally outside of the culture and environment in which I was raised. So, um, but I can report that it was such a beautiful and welcoming and amazing and safe environment. It was completely run by women and they thems and queers and it just felt so incredibly safe and I don't know the people that took care of me just completely wiped my anxiety away. So it was it was extremely safe and I felt seen and known and like taken care of in a way that I've never felt before at a doctor's office. Um, So I'm going to just dive into kind of the emotions surrounding that and my experience at doctor's offices growing up and uh, even into my adulthood. So that is the topic of queer therapy this week, and I hope you enjoy. My therapy session also has almost nothing to do with my current queer therapy of taking care of my sexual health, (laughs) but... I think that's okay. Um, I'm just going to kind of dive into this experience because it was something that I think is important to talk about and just kind of a cool experience and one that kind of brought up a lot of um, emotions for me and memories and just things about growing up queer in the closet and, um, you know, not being supported in ways that I should have been, I guess. Um, So I'll probably talk about it next week in my actual therapy session, but my therapy was on Thursday and then I went to Planned Parenthood on Friday. So we talked about something completely different. Um, So just know that will be kind of maybe, you know, a bit of a jarring uh, switch into something that's completely unrelated. But anyway, Growing up, I obviously was not out and did not really even know where to begin when it comes to the topic of sexual health. Um, Like my parents gave me, you know, one of those classic books that talks about your changing body and has diagrams of like the, the progress of what it looks like for your body to change from a boy into a man or whatever. Um is very basic all cartoon drawings and very christian um but i do remember being sat down by my parents and having the sex talk which is probably like the only time that i ever was was talked to about that topic like i don't know sexuality was just really like taboo and not talked about in my family the only like displays were um 
of my parents like kissing that I ever really saw and even when my sisters had boyfriends they called them their special friends or something like it wasn't it was very like taboo even for them to have like a boyfriend so I don't know there's a lot of like weird tangled up shame and awkwardness around any topic surrounding sexuality just in general and then when it comes to sexual health um you know, the knowledge and experience is even less uh, present. I think that that's probably relatable to a lot of Americans. Um, I don't know. A lot of Americans were just kind of raised in a prudish home that feels like the topic of sex and sexual health is just not something that parents should talk to their children about. But then at the same time, they don't think that funding should happen for schools to talk about that topic either. So it's a little bit confusing, and I think especially if you're in the evangelical community, you're left sort of um, without the knowledge that you should have in order to stay healthy um, unless you do that research and, and find out the info for yourself. So I have kind of a lot of like anger and maybe some anxiety surrounding all of that just because it it was never taught to me in a way that felt helpful or even um, acknowledged that it exists, that it existed <laughs> as a topic that should be talked about, um, let alone anything like anything related to being queer or like being a gay man. So obviously that would not be talked about if it wasn't talked about to even straight people. Um, <clears throat> but back to the book, I do remember when I was when I was sat down by my parents to talk about, you know, the birds and the bees or whatever they brought up the idea that if I was ever attracted to a boy then I should go tell them because that was not correct and so they they I remember them explicitly saying like if you ever have feelings for another boy then come tell us and um like we want to know about that and that like essentially that shouldn't happen and so we need to know about it and so I think that was probably the first like direct um like being told that being gay was wrong and bad and that I should like look out for that as something that is not correct. Um, also mind you, I was probably 13 at the time and already extremely gay. <laughs> like I was already, you know, having crushes on my friends and like, I don't know if I've, I don't think I've like on the podcast told any story of like or like you know told my experience of, of being gay but I feel like I knew when I was like six years old and so um maybe I did tell that in one of my therapy sessions but I feel like I knew when I was six years old and so since then it kind of was an ongoing theme for me that I was just hiding and somewhat in denial but more so like confident in the fact that I liked other guys but just extremely extremely focused on making sure that that was never known and never discovered about me so um it's funny to think back about that time when my parents said like look out for this because it could be you know dangerous or bad for you and we want to know about it and you know the whole time I'm sitting there like it's already happening babes like <laughs> sorry, but I am that little faggot that you're, you know, a little bit nervous about having. So, um, that's interesting. But anyway, that's, you know, that's the extent, literally that's the extent, um, of my sexual health, uh, knowledge and education. 
I will also note that I was homeschooled. And so that adds another layer of difficulty. Uh, You know, I took classes in a church, but everyone was very innocent and like inexperienced with anything. I don't know. Everyone was trying to be the best Christian that they could be. And so we really did not have any discussions of sexual health. Like I took a biology class and an anatomy and physiology class. And we like briefly for one week talked about the functions of female anatomy and the functions of male anatomy. And that's essentially it. Um, So anything that I've learned has come from like online. It's all come from YouTube. It's come from watching people like Lacey Green um, on YouTube, which is so funny. Let me know if you know who I'm talking about there. Um, And which is just such a very like stark contrast to the world that I was raised in. Like I was raised in a very conservative evangelical environment. And then I would go online and like live my entire life as like a gay online. Like it was just so starkly contrasted that like it felt like the secular quote secular (laughs) like like non-christian world out there was like who i really was like living as online and like learning what i learned all that kind of stuff which i will note is a is largely like also uneducated like yes lacy green was very great for some like basic sexual knowledge but there's some deeper stuff that um i'm i feel like i'm learning now that I just never was exposed to or never was was given the opportunity to um, experience or learn growing up in a normal way. So um, that's kind of the background for me on sexual health. Um, <clears throat> there's also an important factor where because we were evangelical Christians, Planned Parenthood was an extreme uh, evil in life. Like I just remember it being talked about in the context of protests from church happening and um you know other homeschoolers like you know passing around pictures of abortions and like bloody gruesome like aborted fetuses being shown on big posters and we were kind of like into politics and actually if you watch the shiny happy people documentary there was a thing called teen pact and i was a part of that um And a lot of the people in that would go and like protest at the Capitol with big signs like that, protesting abortion and specifically protesting Planned Parenthood. Um, So I just remember it as being like such an intensely negative, evil thing that we like wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. Um, And yeah, so it's it's just like kind of a, a wild thing to think about. Um, there's also like an interesting, you know, there's interesting, like, this is going to go into my other podcast of like, I have some questions (laughs) because there was that, you know, fact where people kind of hated Planned Parenthood and, um, anything that had to do with like sexual health and specifically abortion and like women's rights. But then there was kind of a, a culture where newly married women would go to Planned Parenthood to get um, birth control pills because it was like the only place they knew that would give them for free and that would actually keep their information private um, because they might not want to let their doctors know because they could be like still under their family's uh, plan or whatever and so it's like these Christians were using the services of Planned Parenthood while at the same time um, protesting them 
like with these awful signs and of course <clears throat> like it's women doing this but it's the men who are putting the pressure on women to get on birth control which we is a whole nother topic of like how awful and insane it is to for like pressure a woman to go on a hormonal birth control that can completely screw up their hormones when it's actually extremely easy to uh prevent pregnancy through male contraception <laughs> um so anyway uh, kind of a tangent but um i'm gonna pause here and just let that sit for a second that's my kind of background with sexual health and specifically with planned parenthood and so kind of to go through what i've been through of like transitioning into kind of a a fully realized almost fully realized partially realized queer man gay man um and then experience the those things through this new lens is kind of wild um so yeah and we're back it's been a day and i've had some more time to think and i think i want to steer this little pod into the direction of talking about how queerness especially when it comes to sexual health is essentially just erased i think that is an interesting form of oppression where it's not as direct and blatant but it's passive in the way that it's presented throughout society meaning that if we don't exist we don't we aren't a threat essentially <laughs> um to the patriarchy to straights to um normal you know white hetero life in america um and that's definitely what i experienced growing up going to the doctor um you know being told about what life should be like as a man you know as a presumed straight white man i am white but <laughs> presumed straight man um in america and i think it has some pretty specific and serious repercussions especially on people who potentially don't want to be gay and who kind of focus on what life could be like if they weren't xyz you know in the queer community um and that's also just been a topic that i've been thinking about lately in life um you know like being a part of bethel and the bssm thing being gay being queer was always talked about as if it was just a lie that we're all believing um and that that sort of lifestyle only leads to destruction and chaos and evil and it was always compared to the goodness and light and life that comes from a quote heterosexual lifestyle um and it was always contrasted especially with uh children and creating a family and i think that's such an interesting um you know comparison to have because it's a false comparison right like just because you're queer does not mean that you can't have a family but that's always what was told to me i was always you know told that you know for instance regardless of if you actually are attracted to you know a guy or whatever and that that could potentially be okay look at all of the things that you're going to be missing out on if you don't end up marrying a woman because to them the idea of creating a family only exists within the patriarchy and within a heterosexual context um but once we kind of escape that idea 
we realize that for one, science does not actually support that in the slightest. Um, enter IVG, which I'm about to talk about on this pod. Um, and then also it's contradicted by a lot of the things that these same Christians do, like IVF. <laughs> um, and so I think it's it's pretty interesting because I think my experience growing up queer and uh, related to sexual health was not necessarily negative. I mean, it probably was if I unpack that more. <laughs> um it was definitely negative, but it wasn't overtly and blatantly negative. It's more like it was passive and just kind of known to be something that was ugly and disgusting and gross and obviously not what anyone would want to pursue. Um, and so a lot of that like passive communication, uh, you know, resulted in a lot of people internalizing those ideas that to be gay means that they can't have what they want. Um, and, yeah, I think my experience going to Planned Parenthood was in extreme opposition to that, um, as well as just, you know, the current science and what I'm learning now. Um, and so I just want to talk about that for a second. You know, that makes sense that that's, that would be my experience at Planned Parenthood and why they get such extreme opposition throughout the country. I mean, growing up, I remember hearing about bombings at abortion clinics, maybe not specifically Planned Parenthood. Um, but intense and extreme protests to the point where there were like films made about how intensely, um, you know, protested a lot of these women would be even just walking up to a Planned Parenthood or abortion clinic when, at, you know, all the while <laughs> these, these clinics don't even just perform abortions. Like, I think that's something like less than 15% of what they actually do. They actually serve people, especially underrepresented populations like me, um, with, you know, the kind of safe and accessible health care that is extremely needed. Um, so extremely needed, especially in a small town like Reading. Um, but growing up, I, my primary care physician, like my family doctor, was actually a gay man, I think. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about that because as I got older, I kind of noticed some cues about him um, that kind of told me that he was a gay man. And then I think my parents confirmed it later on, just like I didn't ask them directly, but kind of indirectly they confirmed it. Um, but he always kind of directed me in ways that I know my parents, like my mother, wanted. Um, and I don't know that he ever like necessarily clocked me or anything, but it is kind of interesting to think about how like that was my experience, like with my first ever doctor, um, because he was very kind and like, like sweet with me and us and, and gentle in a way that like, I honestly haven't, like I never experienced after having that kind of doctor. Um, and I remember once like when I was you know like probably 14 or 15 and he was talking to me about like what kind of jobs I might be good at he noticed that I was kind of a more what he called gentle person <laughs> that had a lot of empathy and kind of offered some suggestions for careers that I would be good at that kind of pulled on that empathy side that empathetic side and I think that's so that's like held true to this day and so I just feel like he kind of like saw me in that way that um, I, you know, hadn't really experienced from adults 
outside of that. Um, yeah. And then, so the other part of this though is, you know, as a family slash, uh, like pediatric physician, I am sure that he like at the time was not allowed or able to like bring up any thing about sexuality. I'm actually not sure about like what the laws were, but in North Carolina, I'm sure that would have been like a huge deal to like not, you know, bring up any sort of like discussion about, about queerness to like to minors. Um, but there was an instance when he offered the HPV vaccine and I just remember like my mom, he described it as like a vaccine that is helpful for, um, men who might have the possibility of transferring it to people with cervixes. He didn't say it in that way. He said, um, he said trans like transferring the virus to women And my mom kind of instantly was like, no, he doesn't need that with the thought that I would be marrying a woman and would not be in an instance where I would, you know, like be with one woman and then spread it to another woman, essentially. (laughs) Um, And so she said no. And then I was like, fine with that, because in my mind, I was thinking I'm a gay man and I'm never going to be with a woman anyway. (laughs) That was just like my mindset back then. And, but then recently I was watching that movie, Red, White, and Royal Blue, and they were talking about, this is like how little I'm educated on, on sexual health. Um, but when the son comes out to his mom, uh, I guess, spoiler alert, but that's probably obvious. Um, she kind of instantly like kicks into this protective mode where she starts to try to educate him on sexual health. And that moment kind of did something for me. I feel like it was somewhat healing. Um, But to watch a mother kind of like offer that protection, but in a way that was like specific and focused on the needs of her son felt very healing. Um, But one thing that she brought up was the HPV vaccine. And she said, she asked him, are you bottoming? Because bottoms need the HPV vaccine. And honestly, that also kind of spiraled me because I was like, okay, wait, does this mean that I need the HPV vaccine? (laughs) And um, so at Planned Parenthood, I asked that question, like, do I need the HPV vaccine if I'm bottoming? And they basically told me that if I were to ever end up having sex with someone who has a cervix, then it could be helpful to have the HPV vaccine, but that it won't necessarily turn like into cancer in me if I were to get the virus, um, which just also was helpful to hear. Um, I don't know, again, I don't know all the details of that science, but I just, you know, felt like before that instance, I'd never had the access or opportunity to ask such a kind of specific question like that. Um, and there's just something about having like personalized and specific healthcare that I think every human on earth deserves. Um, and so that was, that's just like an interesting kind of like circle of like having that experience back then and, and kind of thinking about it since then of like, should I have gotten the HPV vaccine? Um, and the, like having those different reasons for not getting it was kind of an interesting also like juxtaposition, but, um, but yeah, that was just an interesting thing again, where I'm like 
just had such a good experience at at Planned Parenthood. <laughs> um, okay, I'm I'm going to get into IVG now, which is a cool new science that is I think pretty underdeveloped. Like it's it's extremely new, but from my understanding, it comes from the research done on IVF, which stands for obviously in vitro fertilization where the doctor will remove an egg from someone with a cervix and or with ovaries and um, implant that egg with a sperm and then essentially grow the embryo outside of the womb for a period and then implant that embryo back into the womb um and I actually know a fair num- like amount of people who have done that, specifically Christians. And also the kind of interesting part about that, which I don't have you know, a lot of research on this, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of um, you know, instances where that happens, the doctor actually creates multiple embryos and then they decide how many or which of them to implant, which can necessarily lead to those embryos dying. Um, which I think is against what people believe about abortion (laughs) or, um, you know, life beginning at conception. So I would just, you know, check your privilege there. If you're at an abortion clinic protesting people who are getting an abortion while at the same time doing a treatment like IVF, um, that's something I have questions about, (laughs) but back to IVG, which stands for in vitro gametogenesis, which I am probably mispronouncing, (laughs) which essentially turns a type of stem cell into an egg. I'm going to read an article about this because it could be groundbreaking for homosexuals um, and essentially anyone who doesn't have access to an egg in order to create life. Um, And it's kind of a way that parallels in vitro fertilization in a way that makes that accessible to gay people. Um, I believe that it was originally um, developed in order to help uh, women or people with ovaries who have eggs but are not as, uh, potentially not viable or like they produce eggs but they're not as viable or become not viable and they want to produce more eggs and um, so they use stem cells to do that but it was kind of extended to uh, realize that you could do that with any genetic material. And so essentially a man could have his, uh, you know, a biological man could have his genetic material turned into an egg. And then that egg could be fertilized by his husband's sperm. So I'm going to read an article about this, which it's a very new science. um, But I think it's an interesting thing that kind of honestly obliterates the idea that queer people cannot have a family in the same way that people might have said in the past that um infertile heterosexual couples cannot have a family (laughs) i mean it's like that's kind of how you know imagine if there was a world where someone said that your relationship was invalid because you couldn't have children because of your infertilization even though you were a heterosexual couple Like, that perspective is kind of how us gays feel. So I'm going to read this article. This is an article by Rob Stein from NPR, and it's called Startup Aims to Make Lab-Grown Human Eggs, Transforming Options for Creating Families. 
Berkeley, California. On a cloudy day on a gritty side street near the shore of San Francisco Bay, a young man answers the door at a low concrete building. I'm Matt Krislikov. Nice to meet you, says one of the founders of Conception, a biotech startup that is trying to do something audacious, revolutionize the way humans reproduce. So let me find them real quick, says Krislikov as he turns to look for his co-founders, Pablo Hurtado and Bianca Serres, so they can explain Conception's mission. Quote, I personally think what we're doing will probably change many aspects of society as we know it, says Hurtado, the company's chief scientific officer. It's really exciting to be working on a technology that can change the lives of millions of humans. Conception is trying to accelerate and eventually commercialize a field of biomedical research known as in vitro gametogenesis. Basically, we're trying to turn a type of stem cell called an induced pluripotent stem cell into a human egg, Krisilov says. This really opens the door if you can create eggs to be able to help people have children that otherwise don't have options right now. The experimental technology could help women who have lost their eggs to cancer treatment, women who have never been able to, pr to produce healthy eggs, and women whose eggs are no longer viable because of their age. IVG would enable these women to have their own genetically related babies at any age. That's because induced pluripotent stem cells can be made from just a single cell of anyone's skin or blood, so these lab-grown eggs would have that person's DNA. But the possibilities are even broader. My personal biggest interest in it is how it could allow same-sex couples to be able to have biological children together as well, Krisilov says. Yeah, I'm gay, and it's something that got me so personally interested in this in the first place. Same goes for Hurtado. There is something intrinsic about sharing a life that is half me and half my husband. I don't have that capacity right now. He adds, I am devoting my life to trying to change that. IVG could create eggs from one of Hurtado's cells that could then be fertilized with sperm from his partner. A surrogate mother could then carry the resulting embryo through, through to birth of a baby genetically related to both men. IVG could also create sperm for lesbian couples, allowing them to have babies with genes from both women. Transgender couples could also use IVG to have biologically related babies. How big of a deal it is for the world? I think it's going to be pretty big, says Sarahs, who has a background in, in in vitro fertilization. And for individuals, I think it's going to be life-changing. Japanese scientists have already successfully completed IVG in mice and are trying to translate their success to humans. Many other labs around the world are also racing toward the same goal. But Krisilov and his colleagues say their company has gotten closer to making IVG a reality than anyone else by creating structures found in ovaries known as follicles, which are crucial for maturing eggs. As far as we know, we're the first in the world that have been able to do this, says Krisilov, who adds that the company has raised nearly $40 million and has expanded to a staff of more than 40. The article continues about all of the ins and outs of what it looks like to create these cells. And then it talks about some of the ethical concerns, which are, of course, valid, and says, Greeley acknowledges that rogue scientists could misuse IVG in other countries, and lots of applications raise thorny questions, including using cells from children, elderly people, and even dead people to make babies. Cells stolen from people, such as celebrities, could be used to make babies without their consent. Single individuals could even make babies with nothing but their own DNA. Why worry about these wild scenarios? Who in the world would do that? Greeley asks. And then, I think, there are 8 billion people in the world, and, you know, there are some rich megalomaniacs out there, we won't name names, who I can imagine might think that was cool. 
Krisilov and his colleagues acknowledge the concerns, but they stress they would make sure the technology is safe before proceeding, and they also say they would welcome government regulation. Can it go down pathways where, you know, people try to do weird, like, designer aspect or much more out there things? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair thing to worry about, and there's also all sorts of gray areas that society really needs to figure out, Krisilov says. But opening the store for so many people is, including, you know, me and Pablo, a really good thing. It could lead to so many people being able to have, you know, families and children to be able to have lives. I just think that's a really beautiful thing. Of course, this technology is probably, you know, years or decades away and probably would be for the rich and famous only at first. (laughs) That's kind of like what I've heard people talk about, um, you know, surrounding IVG. But and obviously like i would be all for extreme government regulation and preventing all of the weird you know misuses of of those things but in my mind that's kind of what straight people would do with it (laughs) it's not really what the gays would so um yeah i would say absolutely regulate your weird straight people and then just give the technology to the gays and we'll handle it um but anyway i yeah i i obviously totally agree that like the ethics need to be considered um but when it's used for the purpose you know the purposes that it was meant for i think it could be such a beautiful thing um you know that's something that i've always like i've grown up thinking about where i know i can imagine and like some you know being in love question mark in my life i've had that feeling of like what would it be like to actually be in love with somebody but then not be able to reproduce with them and i'm sure if you're a straight person who is infertile or something you have that same feeling um but for that to be kind of the starting point for you like as a gay person is honestly really difficult and something that plagues my mind (laughs) a lot um because that is a serious thing like i think that it's so beautiful and honestly such a privilege to watch straight couples be able to reproduce together you know using both of their dna it's like the embodiment of their love which is disgusting for me to think about in terms of straight people but um nonetheless a beautiful thing and so um yeah it's it's kind of funny because as i've been on this topic like of sexual health and then also just the topic of you know, making family and um, normal life for queers less taboo, less disgusting, less like out there and, you know, abnormal or whatever. Like just making queer life actually as good or better than straight life. I've been discovering things like this, like IVG, um, like this, this, uh, topic just came up for me on tiktok and then i went and did some research on it but i always like it's just wild to me how i'll always kind of like have a concern that seems completely impossible to overcome like growing up i always thought this was kind of fact and there was absolutely no way around the fact that like being a gay man means that i can never have my own children or that I could have my own children, but it would be in like a weird makeshift way where I have to go get somebody else's egg, like purchase another egg, and then the child could never know their mother. And like all of these like dramatic things that are, you know, fed to me by um, straight people (laughs) and like 
by, you know, the patriarchy. But then, of course, here comes these beautiful gay men to essentially solve that problem and literally flip the script on on what's happening and how people can build families. Um, and it's it feels just, like, totally out of left field for me. It's like, I, I don't know, I've just been, like, deconstructing the idea that my life has to be different or has to be less than a straight person's life in order to do what I know so deeply inside of me, inside of the cells of my being <laughs> is correct, AKA being queer. Um, you know, like reconciling those two things, like how can I feel that way about being queer? But then that comes with like, it comes at such a price, like it comes at such a devastating cost. Um, and then this kind of, comes out of nowhere feeling like the solution like it's like actually um here's science that is legitimately not far off from ivf a thing that is so widely and extremely accepted especially within the christian community um you know it's like one step aside from that it's one step away from like regenerative uh stem cell growth or whatever for like a like burn victims like it's basically that exact same idea just you know applied to uh reproduction and it it just like is kind of completely flipping my perspective on the whole topic and just strengthening that idea that you know as queers we don't have to settle for less um yeah as queers we don't have to settle for less that is my queer therapy this week i mean it it's uh in healthcare and you know in our in our sexual health pursuits and in our reproductive pursuits, we do not have to settle for less. Um, so yeah, that was absolutely a tangent. And I'm going to go back and talk a bit more about, um, you know, current sexual health and just resources that are available if you're queer. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up as, you know, that is kind of a part of sexual health to talk about your options, you know, for family planning. Um, And so, anyway, I think that's basically all I have to talk about this pod um, in terms of sexual health. Of course, I didn't really get into a lot of the stuff that, you know, you might have expected in terms of sexual health for queer people. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I could talk about, like, for instance, how Truvada for um, PrEP was developed by the public and then a company essentially took that patent and then um, privatized it and it now costs thousands and thousands of dollars for queers to get prep and also you know like it's a it's a great drug to prevent HIV the spread of HIV but at the same time it's like pretty hard on your liver and I was kind of talking at Planned Parenthood about that um, and like we still don't have a vaccine for hiv which is kind of fucking insane um i know it's like hard to develop or whatever but we kind of got a vaccine against covid pretty fucking quickly and um it's kind of insane to me so it's been like how many years like 80 years or something 60 years oh my god it was like the 80s that the hiv uh pandemic broke out epidemic broke out and um i mean it's actually a pandemic and then it's just been like, I guess, 20, 40, 50 years. Um, and we still don't have a a vaccine for it. So I guess I've like, I've heard of one in the works. Um, but it's like obviously not widespread yet at all. Um, but we do have Truvada, um, or prep 
but again it like costs a lot of money and it's kind of like just a difficult way to uh to do that so anyway people don't really view that as sexual health because they think that gay sex is unnecessary but if you ask me it's fucking very necessary it's very necessary (laughs) for so many reasons that you will never understand but anyway i um (laughs) this feels like a weird tangent that i would typically cut out but again i'm practicing not cutting things out um so yeah maybe another episode in the future like sexual health for queers part two might be next week or something where i get more into those kind of statistics and details about that but i just really wanted to talk about reproductive health which is also part of sexual health um and ivg which i think is really cool and kind of life-giving new technology um but anyway so now i'm going to get into my queer therapy this week um, which is going to be pretty short and it was surrounding my relationship with my older sister um so hello older sister if you're listening to this i love you so much and i'm not gonna i don't you know give away uh details that are negative about either of us (laughs) in this because i love you so much and i really hope you actually listen to these um that's just a little message from me to you um okay so without further ado here is my queer therapy for the week We talked about my relationship with my older sister this time, which felt really confusing and convoluted actually. For some reason, every time I tried to bring something up, I wasn't able to formulate a thought in the same cohesive way I'm used to. It was like my brain was malfunctioning and words weren't forming. I had been struggling with vertigo that day as well, so it could have been that. But I did start to have feelings of anxiety and shakiness in my body, which Dr. Matthews pointed out as emotions trying to escape. You know, those body movements aren't necessarily a bad thing, he said. Sometimes it's just your body trying to shake it out. We talked about the moment I came out to my older sister, which felt somewhat complicated. I'd done it with her and my younger sister at the same time, and I think that felt unfair to my older sister in a way, because growing up we were extremely close. There were so many times I wanted to come out to her, but I was so trapped and paralyzed by our religious beliefs that said this would send me to hell, so I never did. I tried to explain to Dr. Matthews how both of us were so intense in our personalities that it's like World War III whenever we get into an argument. We're just so confident and sure of our own positions that whenever we start to see the other's side and then brush up against something that we, that we disagree with, we end up throwing empathy out the window. Typing this now even feels difficult, like I can't fully formulate my feelings around the relationship. So this relationship feels different for you, asked Dr. Matthews. How do you feel in your body right now? Yeah, for sure. I kind of feel trapped, like I don't know how to explain myself, and I don't know how to escape. Okay, so you feel kind of claustrophobic, like you can't get out, he said. Yeah, exactly, I said. Okay, why don't you stop for a second and just observe how you're feeling in your body. Reach your arms out and let yourself realize that you own the space around you, and that you can get out if you want. That helped a lot, actually, and I started to calm down a bit. Do you think maybe your sister didn't have the best reaction to your coming out because she was being self-critical about how safe she was or wasn't for you in your childhood? Dr. Matthews asked. Yeah, I think that feels right, I said. I'm going to leave it there. Um, Thanks so much for listening. I know this one was a bit of a longer episode, but I'm testing something out at the suggestion of my friend. So um, I love you guys so much, and thank you so much for listening. 
This was Queer Therapy episode five, I think. Um, again, please let me know what your queer therapy was this week. Um, thank you so much again, genuinely for listening. Um, and I hope you have an amazing week. Okay, goodbye.